0: You know, I uh, heard about this man and woman. Well, they got married, and he was going to be a pastor. Took a church, and he noticed that his wife had a chain around her neck with a key on it. Says, "Um, what's that key for? And she'd always change the subject, but she would never tell him. Fifty years passed. And he kept wondering what's that key hanging around your neck for her? he said I just got to know she says it's the key to the footlocker okay well what's in the footlocker he said I want to know so she uh she unlocked it and opened it up and there was thirteen thousand dollars in cash and five eggs she says what's, what's what's this she says I decided when you became a pastor I was going to take and put an egg in this cedar chest or this footlocker for every bad sermon you had. Well, he thought this was pretty good, only five sermons in 50 years. He said, well, what's the cash for? He said, well, every time I got a dozen, I sold them. If you have a wife that has a footlocker and she has a key around her neck, there's more than meets the eye. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms. Uh, The first Psalm uh, deals with the, I believe, the individual, and the second Psalm deals with the nation. But you know that a nation, well, is composed of individuals. But in the first psalm, it kind of gives us some ideas about, you know, the believer and how we're supposed to be separated, uh, you know, from the ungodly. And he talks about here three different things, walk not, stand it, sit it. But it says, walk not after the counsel, that's evil principles, uh, walk not according to standing in the way of sinners, you know, evil practices. And also to sit in the seat of the scornful or evil partnership where you get with the wrong people and do the wrong things and Proverbs 1 says if sinners entice thee consent thou not so Christians is supposed to be separated and the believer is supposed to be saturated and that's why in verse 2 talks about his delight is in the law of the Lord And in his law, doth he meditate day and night. So the believer should be separated in verse one of chapter one. And the believer should be saturated with the word of God in verse two. And in verse three, uh, he is to be situated near the water so that you can be refreshed at all times. Now he says the ungodly are not so. So there's things that's going to happen to the ungodly. And so they have three words that mentions to them, the ungodly, the sinners, the scornful. And so that's mentioned in here. And in verse six says, for the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And then he's gonna tell us some of the things he's gonna do. Now whenever you have nations come together, And nations have ideas about what they think is best for the people. Well, you know, there's this issue right now that's going on in our government, especially among the people, I should say. Uh, Somebody wants to build a mosque up there in uh, New York. But they're talking about trying to build a mosque up there, and we have people saying, you know, they have a constitutional right, and then we have people say that we don't need that there because of, you know, the religion. And so there's a lot of pros and cons on both sides. And what really has irritated me a little bit, is that nobody has called me up and asked me my opinion. <laughs> now, ring, ring, oh, somebody's calling me. Uh, Yes. Oh, you want to know my opinion on the mosque being built in New York City? Well, let me tell you what I think, because I knew you wanted to know. All you have to do is find out what is the religion of Islam. It is a political machine. It's a war machine. It is not a peaceful religion. The goal, after taking over 56 countries, the goal is to take over America. Now, there are over 3,000 mosques in America. Now, that ought to be enough. But you see, the purpose of it is to teach people how to be good Muslims, according to the religion of Islam, which means to submit, and to get everyone to submit to their religious beliefs. So they're, they're not here because they want the freedom guaranteed to us by the Constitution, because as soon as they can, they will replace our Constitution. And America is not going to stay free. Look at all the countries where they have dominated. Are we free there? Can we go there and have churches? No. And if they come here, eventually it'll take away our freedom. So therefore, I would say anyone who wants to come to this country to destroy this country and not according to the principles laid down by our founding fathers, I would say, no way. No way. It should not be done. But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I just want to throw that out there because why do the heathen rage? Why do the nations rage? Because you see, they want to break free from God's authority and God's influence. The word bands, the word cords. As you see there in uh, verse three, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. They do not want the authority of God over a nation because that makes a nation subservient, in subjection to God, if there is a God. And they don't want the authority, nor do they want the influence. That's why there's a move to try to eliminate any form of Christian influence in this country. If Christianity is true, then they have to submit to it. But you can't, in Christianity, force people to believe its doctrine. And we have no justification to kill anybody if they don't believe what we believe. Now, there's other religions that that's what they will do. And that is coming. So I want you to see this in Psalms 2. He says, why do the heathen rage? Now, in verse 1, 2, and 3, you'll hear the voice The voice of the people. The voice of the nations. And in verse 4, 5, and 6, well, you'll hear the voice of God the Father. Verse 7, 8, and 9, it's kind of like there's the voice of the Son of God. And then down in verse 10, 11, and 12, the voice of the Holy Spirit, because He's the one that does the seeking and the pleading, the convicting. So, you have these four voices mentioned in these scriptures. As you study the second psalm, we call it a messianic psalm because it deals with the Messiah. It's a prophecy about Christ in the future. And so he lays it out, and it begins with the very first verse about why do the heathen rage, and yet that scripture is quoted in the New Testament. And when it's quoted in the New Testament, it refers to when Jesus Christ came the first time and was rejected and he was crucified. So when Jesus came into the world the first time, here a thousand years in advance, we have David telling us what's going to happen and who's going to do what. So this is a Messianic Psalm forecasting the future. It sets the stage for the coming world rebellion. The coming world rebellion. Have you ever heard that history repeats itself? If we find out what happens, the first time Christ came and how things were set up, what the people did, then you'll have an idea, because history will repeat itself, how it's going to be when Christ comes back the second time. Now, many of us who know the scriptures, believe the scriptures, believe there's a good possibility the Lord could come back very, very soon. But we don't know the exact day or the hour, but there has to be some similarities because, as I mentioned uh, last week, there were the four feasts for the springtime that were fulfilled when Christ came the first time. Then there are the three feasts in the fall of that Christ, I believe, will fulfill when he comes the second time. The psalm here deals with these two comings. It talks about the first time he comes and the second time that he comes. And the condition of the world when he is crucified. So when it says here, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? When the word imagine... It means they think the wrong thing. They're thinking something, it's wrong, but they make decisions, it's the wrong decision. So if it's the wrong decision, they do the wrong thing. And when it comes to the Lord, they did the wrong thing. So there's people who, even today, who are thinking the wrong thing. They imagine the wrong thing. They believe a lie. The Christians today in America, by many on the left, consider the Christian the biggest threat to America. That's not a joke. And therefore, they're keeping their eyes upon us. They fear us for some reason. Because we don't just automatically swallow everything the government says. We challenge it. We want to know what the Constitution says and what you're doing. If they don't jive, we speak up. and We say something about it. And unless you know truth, you can't discern error. And they don't like it when somebody points it out that they're wrong on something. So he says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain thing? And this scripture is mentioned there in the book of Acts in chapter 4, where it talks about the people that were involved when Jesus Christ was crucified. It talked about Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the people, the Romans, and why did the heathen It's talking about them. Because they represented the world at that time. And they imagined something that was not true. And they believed a lie. Because in front of them, They had the only perfect man that's ever lived. And the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, if the princes of this world, if they were so smart, if they were so wise, then why did they crucify the Lord of glory? In other words, maybe they weren't so smart after all. Now this is going to be hard for you to understand. Government isn't always right. The majority of people are not always right. We're living also at a time in America where I don't believe our government is right. They're not on the right page. That they don't see things. They don't understand things. But remember those groups came from individuals. Like in Psalms chapter 1, it talks about the individual the man who does saturate himself with the word of God, and the ungodly in the seat of the scornful and mocked and makes fun, well, we've got all those people here today. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. So he says in verse 2, because he, in verse 1, it tells us the commotion of the nations. It talks about the cry of rebellion. But this is the voice of the nations in rebellion to God against his anointed one, which is the Messiah. And so the people that were here, Jesus Christ was the truth. Why wouldn't they believe the truth? Because they believed a lie. They imagined vain things, things that have no truth to it, no water, no substance to it. And that's the way a lot of people are today. And so he says in verse two, the kings of the earth sit themselves and the rulers take counsel together. This shows their hostile confederacy. Have you ever noticed that sometimes, you know, people can war and fight among each other all the time. But whenever they had the uh, destruction of the two towers, you know, there was a moment there in history where Democrats, Republicans, they all came together, the same chamber, and they sang God Bless America. Everybody seemed like they just loved America. It just seemed like all of our differences were gone, and we are united for the cause of America. And they sang proudly, and they pledged allegiance, and they did all these things, and all of America, but we were standing together. Has anything changed? since that moment. You know, if you could find that common denominator that brings us all together, what do you know? The Romans hated the Jews. Jews hated the Romans. But when Christ came on the scene, they hated him more so they could all come together because they found a common denominator to hate more than each other. They hated God. They hated his anointed one. They hated Christ. And so he says, they took counsel together. They reasoned among themselves. They planned. They connived. In verse 3, they came to the conclusion, let us break their bands asunder. They didn't want God's authority over them. And they did not want the influence You see, we live at a time where they don't want God's authority, and they do not want the Christian influence. And there are people who get together. And it is amazing that even in this time, now I am not a a friend of the ACLU, the anti-American civil religion. Anyway, I'm not their friend. I don't believe they're a friend of America. But it's amazing how people can so get together for the cause of Islam. And you watch, you mark my word. I'll venture to say it will not be long before there'll be special laws made in Congress to protect Islam. Because you see, there's people gonna be speaking out against it and how that the teaching itself is detrimental to America. And how all of these Al-Qaeda cells are nothing but hate-mongering cells that turns people against America. And they'll want Sharia law, and they're going to want to change it, our Constitution. This is coming. And anything said or done that would offend them is going to make the news. And they're going to have to have special protection. So I don't believe it. Just wait. Now in verse 4, We have it where the Lord Himself, God the Father, says that He is going to sit in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Uh, While you're right here, look in Psalms 37, the 37th Psalm, 37th Psalm, and look there in verse 13, when He talks about the, the wicked, there in verse 12, the wicked Plot against the just, gnash upon him with their teeth. The Lord and you on the line it, shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. You see, the Lord knows the future, and God is allowing these people to come together, and in their judgment, they wanted to kill Christ. He said he was the king of the Jews, and therefore the Romans. I only have one king, and that was Caesar. They got a problem. So they were able to turn the people, the religious leaders, the Romans, the Jews, they all against him. And so they crucified Christ, and he was put on the cross. But the Lord says, you go ahead and you plan. You work, you do your scheme. But there's a God in heaven that looks down and sees the affairs of men and he makes a statement. He says, fellow, it ain't over yet, do your worst. And then he says, the Lord shall have them in derision. In other words, there's a time coming when God is going to speak. Now hold your place right here and look in Proverbs in chapter 1. The book of Proverbs in chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, and I want you to look there in verse 22. Verse 22. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 22 says, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? It means to be naive. And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. In other words, but they appear to be bright. They appear to be so wise. They're so intelligent. But in God's eyes, it's just the opposite. You see, there is a God. Jesus Christ is his Son. And he is truth, and he is right, and he's never wrong. A man reveals his wisdom by what he does with God, with Jesus Christ. And there are many fools who mock, make fun of. So he says here in verse 23, Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Because, get this, because I have called and ye have refused. I stretched out my hand, no man regarded. But ye have said it not. That means count as nothing all of my counsel and with none of my reproof. This is God said, look, I have sought you. I have sent you prophets. I have sent you the godly men. I have sent you my word. I told you in advance when I would come, how I would come, how I would live. I told you everything in advance, but you wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't listen. So they did what they wanted to do. God says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Now, get what he says. He says in verse 26, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they will not find me. And they that hated knowledge did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat the fruit of their own way, and they'll reap what they sow. I just threw that in there. I you appreciate that. Now go back there to the book of Psalms. God, who sits in the heavens, looks down and he sees the wickedness of man and knows what they're going to do, but God can take the wickedness of man and accomplish his purpose. It says in verse 5, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, vex them in his sore displeasure. In other words, he's going to put a curse upon them. God can curse a nation or bless a nation. And I believe in America, we're going to see some of the cursing upon America. Because we have thrown away all of God's reproof, God's warnings. We have not heeded and listened like we should. Now this is as a nation. You change your nation by changing your laws and we're changing our laws because we've changed our God. I'll preach a sermon on the changing of the gods. Well, anyway. Look in verse 6. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. When Jesus was born in the book of Matthew it says, king of the Jews. King of Israel. Jesus Christ was the King from the day he was born. He is King and he has the right to be the King. And he says, I have set my King upon my holy hill of Zion. Now there's two things that I want to bring out concerning this verse. One is whenever Jesus Christ was taken upon Mount Zion. whenever he was up on the mount and crucified. I believe that God has taken the wicked acts and the wicked deeds of the people. When he says in the book of Acts, you have by wicked hands have taken and slain, and he says by the determinate counsel of God himself, as God looks down through the telescope of time, and God used the deceitfulness and the wickedness, the ungodliness of men, and they rejected his son and put him on the cross that God had determined to use them to accomplish his purpose. And when Christ was on the cross, God says, "Like I, I set my son upon that hill. I sent him into this world. Jesus says, a body hast thou prepared me. So Jesus Christ went to the cross. Now you and I know There's a time coming when he's going to come back to the earth and he's coming back. And his feet's going to touch upon the mountain. It's going to cleave in the mist. So he came twice when he came into this world and was crucified. And then he's coming back again. But I want you to see this. I believe you have here perhaps the voice of the Lord himself, Jesus Christ. Because look what he says in verse 7. I will declare the decree the Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, the Father, has said unto me, the Son, because he said, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. Now in the book of Acts, it will show you that this scripture refers to when Jesus Christ came back from the dead. We often read that verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. His only begotten Son. The begotten doesn't necessarily always refer just to the birth, but when He gave His Son and brought Him back from the dead. So Jesus Christ died on the cross and the Father brought him back from the dead. we talk talking about being born again. Brought back to life. Brought him back. And Jesus Christ was the begotten Son.